welcome back to yet another edition of Pick and Pod WFUV Sports NBA podcast. I'm Kelly Bright alongside my two favorite men at this point, Thomas Aiello and Thomas Quigley, here again to talk some more basketball. And we are really getting down to the wire. Not many teams left in this thing, not a single New York team. And something we mentioned right before we got on the show is that Thomas Quigley is officially New York's biggest, I guess, I was about to say anti-good luck charm. I don't know the worst luck charm. He has luck charms, if that's even a thing. You've now witnessed two New York basketball teams be eliminated from the playoffs in person. How do you feel? You know, how, how are you feeling about that? I feel great. I feel <laughs> like I'm doing a service to all my fellow Celtics fans. And uh, just anyone who, who likes hating on New York sports, because that's a thing that I like to do, and I have to hide that when I work sometimes. But uh, not today. Not today. Ayelo, I'm sure you have something to say in response to that, so I'm going to go ahead and let you do that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm actually speechless for the first time <laughs> ever since you knew me. The only thing I will say is before the show, we were talking about the Patriots, because Kelly has a Patriots shirt on. And I was giving props to my man, Dante Hightower and Stefan Gilmore. Other than that, I, 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 can't, I, I can't say anything. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. We had the Celtics this year, and we didn't even – you guys, the Nets and the Knicks made it farther than that, so we won't even go there. But let's get to the Nets series. They lost game seven to the Bucks in overtime, 115-111. And Kevin Durant truly put his best foot forward in that, in that game, figuratively and literally – 48 points, most ever in a game seven. He played all 53 minutes. If his shoe was one size smaller, we'd probably be having a much different conversation right now. But unfortunately, he's a very large man with very large feet. And that shot he hit to put them in overtime wasn't enough. Uh, They ultimately fall. And uh, Thomas Quigley, let's go to you first. I mean, you can't say enough good things about Kevin Durant and all he did for this team what was it like watching him go off, not just in this game seven, but also throughout this finals? He ended up averaging, I believe, 32.5 for the entire playoffs and had back-to-back 48.49 point games. So how was that watching him just have one of the greatest playoff performances from a player in NBA history? Well, it was honestly spectacular. Um, the only basketball I'd ever seen before these two Nets games um, were Knicks games um, and they've never really in their entire history had anyone close to as talented as Kevin Durant much less in recent history uh sorry Ella so um obviously it was something that I'm just like I just hadn't seen before but this guy you know back-to-back performances at home uh put up 45 plus 49 uh in Saturday's game and I believe 47 on Tuesday's game five uh, it was remarkable, and I had a perfect, absolutely perfect angle for that game-tying shot. Uh, I was right in between Kevin Durant and – or no, Kevin Durant was right in between me and the hoop he was shooting on. And as soon as he put it up, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to win this game. And only after maybe like a minute of celebration from the entire arena did I realize that it was only a two-pointer and that we were going to overtime. I was literally about to send out a tweet like, Nets are going to the conference finals, and that would have been really bad luck, and I'm glad I didn't. But uh, no, it was, it, was, it was a fantastic experience. And uh, it's kind of a shame that it's all, all over. But um, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it's funny. My dad was 
was he had turned off the game at that point. He's a Boston fan. He doesn't care about New York. But he said he got an update on his phone saying that the Nets won the game. And then two minutes later, he turned his phone on again and saw they were in overtime. So, yeah, I think you were not alone in thinking that the game was over with that ridiculous shot. But I know I'm going to go to you now. Uh, you, you look at this game, and a lot of people are saying that it's, it came down to injuries and that had had the Brooklyn Nets had Kyrie or they had Harden that they would realistically still be in contention, not only to win the Eastern Conference, but also to win the entire NBA championship. So how much did injuries play a factor in in not just the series, but in uh, the playoffs and in what the Nets' potential could have been this season? Okay, so before I give my explanation, I need everyone to understand how much I am anti-James Harden trade. Because I, I thought the headache of a move that it was for every party involved was so stupid. I, 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 I didn't see a point. I understand why they would do it, but in the playoffs, and you have Kyrie Irving, you have James Harden, you have Kevin Durant, you have three incredibly talented players who can carry obscene amounts of offense on their own. And then you put the three of them together. It's like, it, it's like forming the Illuminati. It's just like you've completed everything and then all, all hell will break loose. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case because of injuries. But I want to emphasize how important it is to be able to utilize bench players and bench pieces. Because everyone says, oh, like the Brooklyn, even I said this, the Brooklyn Nets have got this. They've got the best player, Kevin Durant. James Harden's a phenomenal facilitator. And Kyrie Irving, you know, he does his thing. And then you've got uh, Claxton. You've got DeAndre Jordan being a great cheerleader. Uh, Landry Shamit, who was the laundryman. Uh, Joe Harris was a phenomenal three-point shooter. You got all this stuff. But where was it? You know, where was it? Jeff Green, who went seven for eight from three in, I believe it was game one or two. Where was he in game seven? You know, where was Nick Claxton? I mean, Blake Griffin, who is someone that has wildly exceeded our expectations, I would believe. He played pretty well, but you're not going to win when the bench doesn't attempt a field goal, let alone score a single point. You know, that's, that's not going to happen. So in my mind, keeping Levert and maybe keeping Allen, perhaps being able to play those two over stationary players like Shamit or Joe Harris, who was essentially non-existent, uh, Bruce Brown, who doesn't give you much on offense other than maybe a push floater, and then you have to deal with uh, not playing Nick Claxton. You've got people like Brooke Lopez in the center. So injuries played a part. But that's not the reason why everything was the way it was. There was madness. There was mania. There was brain, brain cramping soup brains. I don't know what to describe from both teams. Okay, this was just a terrible uh, all-around thing. So I want to start with Chris Middleton taking a panic pull-up three-pointer late in the game, I believe it was in the fourth quarter. He just launches a three from beyond where he shouldn't have shot. You have Drew Holiday, who was for the game, five of 23. He didn't really do well until the end of the game, like the fourth quarter. And then Brooke Lopez, who was on the verge of selling the Bucks season in one play, one play. It was a sideline inbound in front of the Bucks bench. Drew Holiday just throws uh, uh, a Brady alley-oop pass as if he's lobbing it to Gronkowski in the end zone, Boston reference. And Brooke Lopez just catches it like this, like kind of turns around. And then he doesn't know what to do. He just kind of pivots in a circle in my spinny chair. He just goes like this. And then he doesn't know what to do. 
he literally could have sold the season right there. And somehow Giannis Antetokounmpo overcomes that. And then Kevin Durant's shoe just ruined the whole thing for the Nets. And that was a crazy shot. But it was just the, the in mania ensuing from both teams of just the crazy things that they, they did. I mean, you have James Harden, who I give a lot of crap for, for shoot, being horrible in the playoffs. He was 5 of 17 in game seven. So I, to me, the injuries, yes, that was part of it. But I thought the on-court play from everybody was just, oh, man. Oh, it was, it was terrible. I thought it was horrible. That, that's, to me, what's... I have to agree. I, it was sloppy play. I think this game and the other game were both turnovers, bad shots here and there. But to me, I think injuries does play a big part in that because the people who were injured for both teams, for all teams that have been in the playoffs so far, were key players who I, I think, had they been there, I think the play would have been a lot more consistent and we would have seen better all-around basketball. But you mentioned the James Harden deal. And I know the three of us have talked about that in the past few episodes, but it was hard watching this game and not thinking about Jared Allen and, and thinking how helpful it would have been to have a guy like that. I mean, I think, I think a rim protector like that, a solid defender, ex- exactly what they need against somebody like Giannis. And seeing that game and knowing that Harden was playing basically on one leg, and I know he struggled, but I think it was because he was out there at maybe 70% max. So I give him credit for at least getting out there, but it is hard. And in the past few episodes, I've been, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it. But I, I was watching that game seven. I was like, wow, especially you mentioned a good point. The bench scoring zero of their 111 points in game seven. I mean, that can't, that can't happen for a team that wants to make it to, uh, that are uh, final contenders. you got to have some depth to you. You really do. And we mentioned Bruce Brown. I mentioned him every episode because I love him. But yeah, he's <laughs> not your answer. He, he really isn't. And I, I think they do have some questions going in to the off season about, are they going to address some of these issues? I mean, not only do they have the best big three and, and I don't think there's a team with an equivalent big three to Kyrie, Katie um, and Harden, but they also have the most expensive big three. I mean, you have guys who are making a combined 117 mil in a league with a $109 million salary cap. So are they going to have the money to go after someone who's really going to help them next season? I'm not so sure. Thomas Quigley, I'll go to you. What kind of options are they going to have to go out and find free agents, especially given how much money they've already delegated to those three big players? Yeah, this offseason is going to have a lot of questions, especially for, you know, the the short term rentals that they uh, kind of assembled. Obviously, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was didn't really uh, pan out. He, he retired and uh, is hopefully, you know, um, feeling better with his heart condition. But um the Blake Griffin situation, uh, still questions of whether he'll stay. Um, but I think the, the focus of the, of the Nets has to be on just assembling any sort of uh, just reasonable bench because you, you need a supporting cast when it comes down to it. And the entire season, the question was the Nets are obviously going to be a playoff contender, a title contender, and they're probably going to go really far in the playoffs the only thing stopping them would be injuries. And that's completely what happened to them. And, you know, you could say that this was a one-off thing, but injuries happen, injuries are going to happen. And there's a good chance that, you know, we have a similar situation in the playoffs next year. Now, the fact that they were even able to come within an inch of, <laughs> of beating the Bucks um, is all credit to Kevin Durant and the ability that he has to carry a team. And, um, they came really close without, you know, having anybody on the bench that could do anything, but it just goes to show you that that's just a, a, a 
incredibly important part of an NBA team that you can't just win with three players. So I'm whatever the, the front office does this off season, it's got to be completely focused on getting in those role players and uh, just trying to assemble a more rounded team because you can't just rely on three players to win a championship. Right. And you, you said, you said something, you know, they were still within one inch basically of, of going to the Eastern conference final. So I want to quickly play a clip from Joe Harris where he talks about this, this team is a dynasty and he has a good thing to say about that. So I'm going to play that now. You know, you talk to Steve, you talk to other people. I think a lot of us, and especially me, you know, hoping that I'll be around for a little while. This is, this thing is far from over. So Thomas Aiello, I'm going to go to you with this one. He talks about how this is far from over and that this is just the beginning for this team. Now we saw the 2010 Heat team, you know, LeBron, D Wade, Chris Bosch, they come together. They promise all these tournaments, these championships, South Beach, and they lose in the finals to their Mavs in the first year. They come back, run it back, win the next two in a row. So is the same thing going to happen in Brooklyn? Is this something for them to panic about? Or do we expect this team to come back and be as dominant as, you know, they have the potential to be next season? Uh, oh, <laughs> see, now, now you got me with the question where I don't have the answer for this. I, I have no idea uh, what the Nets are going to do. So the cap situation and the money that you both brought up, it's, I don't want to say it's bizarre. I, I want to say it's definitely a little crammed here. So between the big three of Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving, there's one more year of guaranteed money for the three of them. And then they have player options for 22-23 and 20, for 22-23 season, which they very well could decline. Now, I don't know uh, if they're going to do that. Now, Kevin Durant has alluded to, this is a while ago, about talking about walking away at the age of 35. So there's, there's that possibility. You got to keep that in the back of your head. And the Brooklyn Nets have no trade assets because they gave literally 800 years worth of picks for James Harden. And like we, as we just said, the headache of a move that involved the Pacers, the Rockets, the Nets, and uh, oh, the Cavs, that was the other team. So you're missing all of that. Spencer Dinwiddie recently, and for some strange reason, declines $12 million for a player option for some reason. That's guaranteed money. I don't know why he's going to turn that down coming off of an ACL tear, and you could have used him. Uh, you can't move DeAndre Jordan, and not in the sense that he makes money, but you run the risk of upsetting Durant, and then you also run the risk of Kyrie taking his walking stick and going to part the Red Sea uh, for the people to walk across. Okay, you run that risk where he goes on a vacation. And then you have Blake Griffin, who is definitely going to want more than one million two hundred twenty-nine thousand dollars and sixty-seven or six hundred seventy-six dollars. He's going to want more than that because he severely outplayed it, and I mean that in a good way. So he's going to want—I don't know—maybe in the range between like five to nine million ten. If we're going to really push it at this point, he's going to be thirty-three. Uh, Jeff Green is a player that's expiring. He'll—he'll he'll come back and make no money. And the rest of the roster—I mean, it's just like people they kind of found off the street. And it's no one really that exciting and Joe Harris is getting north of 17 mil for the next three seasons. So that's guaranteed money. So I don't know what the Nets can do. I guess maybe Dinwiddie leaving and if Blake walks, I guess that's probably around 13 or so million dollars to, to play with. And that gets you, I don't know, that could probably, that could probably fill out the bench, I guess, at this point. And that's probably what you have to do. That's probably the only route they can go. 
And depending on who they put there, I, I have, I have no idea how that's going to play out. So we have to see how Brooklyn uh, handles this money, because remember, this is not the NFL where you can restructure a contract and use money to supply other things. That's not going to work in the NBA. Right. I think right now they have a taxpayer mid-level exception or something like that that should give, I I think around 6 million to spend on a free agent, assuming no one leaves. I do think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to leave. So that'll be interesting. But you know, you look at who's available, not much for that money. I mean, Nerland Zoel, he held down the number four defense no, no, in the no. league. No, I'm just not, they're not taking him, but he was doing it for five mil. So if you can get a steal like that, I'm, I'm not saying they'll go take him, but someone like Montrez Harrell, Marcus Hall, someone like that, maybe. But you got to think, is that really worth it? Is that really going to push the needle? I don't know. But I want to move now to another team that's going to have questions going to the going into this offseason, especially one with one of their star players. And that's the 76ers. And of course, you know, I'm talking about Ben Simmons. Now, the Sixers lost game seven to the Atlanta Hawks, 103-96. Embiid was great again, 31 points, 11 rebounds. He did have eight turnovers. One was really embarrassing and 45 seconds ago. But uh, you look at this game as a whole, and it's hard not to put most of the blame on the shoulders of one Ben Simmons. Uh, Just five fourth quarters in a row without a single field goal attempt. Uh, I, there's not much you can say about him. He took four attempts the entire game, was two for four. He did have eight rebounds and 13 assists, but he just he just didn't shoot. And I think the worst one, he, he had a very key moment where he had a very easy dunk in front of him. He elected the pass instead. And I think, to me, he just seemed afraid. He just seemed to be afraid to be on offense. And for someone who's an all-star and someone who's supposed to be your number two, number one B guy, not great. So quickly, I'll go to you. What 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 do you do with MB? What do you do with Simmons at this point? What do you do? Um, you got to get him out of there. I mean, he's there's obviously just it's not a fit. It's not a good fit. Uh, he, his teammates Embiid was, you know, kind of trying to be a little bit, let's say, vague about who he was talking about in his post game conference. But he's clearly saying that Ben Simmons and his inability to put the ball in the basket when there's literally no one around him. And he's six foot ten, and he could just literally just put the ball in the basket. But instead, he passes. Um, that's very frustrating as a teammate to see. But um, once you have your teammates throwing you under the bus, it's probably it's probably the end of that relationship. So um, it's not like he's just completely unable or unable to score or to be, you know, a productive uh, second guy maybe on a team. It's just that it's severely not working in Philly. Um, we've seen him have monster games like he had in Utah, I believe, earlier this year where he scored 40 uh, on Rudy Gobert, um, who's one of the best defenders in the league. And, you know, that's that's just definitely something that it's not necessarily a flash in the pan. I'm sure he can recreate that. Um, but I think a, a definitely a different situation would be beneficial for him, whether that's going to Minnesota where he could team up with uh, – KT and uh, Anthony Edwards, or, um, you know, there's other options, but it's just that he really needs to get out of Philly. I think it's one, a confidence thing with him. You really saw after game five, he just was, he, there's just no, no swagger about him. He just didn't really have that competitive edge that you need uh, in the playoffs. And it was clear that it was just, he was just devoid of, of any really like ability that, that, that just like, 
mob mentality kind of like it was just nowhere to be seen anywhere near like near the court where he was so he's got to get that confidence back um and i think that you know leaving would certainly help that for him yeah i couldn't agree more you said joel and b threw him under the bus his own coach also kind of threw him under the bus they asked uh doc rivers if they thought that ben simmons could be a point guard on a championship team and his response was i don't know that's pretty tough for your coach to say about you. I mean, it was honest, but uh, yeah, you, you also mentioned some good things. I, as far as his fit in Philly, this is a team that isn't built for someone who isn't going to score. You know, they, their best player is your best players in your front court. You can't rely on your seven footer to be the guy who creates space and takes threes. And that's what they're having to do with how, how lacking Ben Simmons has been on the offensive front. So I agree. I, I, I he, there's no way he can stay in Philly. I mean, if anything, the fans are going to absolutely drive him out because I, the things I've seen on social media <laughs> in the past 48 hours have been insane. But I want to throw it to Thomas because Thomas Aiello, because I know you always have hot takes on where players should end up, especially players who just played so poorly. So I'd love to hear your opinion on what you think the best move is for Philly and also just where you think Simmons is going to end up. Okay, so before I tell you where I think he should go, Ben Simmons, as talented as he is, and he does a lot of things well, I call him the six foot 10 Rondo. I'm sure that that might resonate with you guys a little bit. I'm sure that you can kind of see that he is a six ten Rondo. Ben Simmons is, is spoiled. And he's spoiled <laughs> in the sense, hold on. He's spoiled in the sense that he had all of this aura coming out of him, high school and college, like, oh, this guy He's going to save the Sixers. He's going to be the number one pick. He's going to rookie of the year, that this, that, all, all-star, Magic Johnson, Scottie Pippen type player. You can't do that. You, you guys can't, people can't do that, okay? I think setting such a bar is so unrealistic for a player like Ben Simmons who plays nothing like those two, like Pippen or Magic at all. He plays nothing like that. The second part is Ben Simmons, who wants it? Who, who the hell is going to take a chance on this guy? Now, Quiggs, you said Minnesota. You read my mind because the only trade that I could come up with on my famous NBA trade machine is literally swapping him for D'Angelo Russell and you give him give uh, Philadelphia a pick, some kind of pick. Give him something. The problem is how motivated is Ben Simmons going to be? That's the real issue. I know that I called him spoiled because the expectations were too high and he's kind of – lollygag like I'm Ben Simmons Uh, no dude you got to show up and you got to actually play and lead the Sixers okay Joel Embiid is is severely depending on you to give him the ball to actually score okay Tobias Harris who can't run or jump well is dependent on you to give him catch and shoot threes and so is pretty much the rest of how this Philly team is constructed so Ben Simmons alone is the sole creator who somehow doesn't have a jump shot. At least Rondo uh, could shoot and try to keep people honest. Like Joe Noah couldn't shoot to save his life either with that, th- this, this form. And believe me, as a Knicks fan and someone who has also, for some reason, just observed the Bulls a lot, you know, Joe Noah at least tried to do something on the offensive end. Ben Simmons doesn't want to do anything on that end. He likes playing his defense and running and getting his little dunks, but come down to it. If you can't stay on the play on the floor in the playoff game, not let alone shoot outside of seven feet, I, you're in trouble. And I don't know where he goes. I mean, Minnesota—that's the only one. Maybe 
Indiana, if you can salvage like Malcolm Brogdon and a pick out of that, I mean, I don't know. Indiana's in the weird like purgatory state at the moment. Maybe they're going to blow it up. We don't know. So I guess you could try that, but I don't know, man. Ben Simmons just, wow. 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 I, it's like, I, I've just run out of stuff to say about this guy because every year it's the same goddamn thing. I, I don't know. Ben Simmons, he frustrates me. Okay. He frustrates me. See, that's the thing. Like I can think of places where he would want to go, where he might fit in, but I can't think of a team that would want him at this point. I mean, Who wants he, he's him? gotten worse. Like it, at first it was, it was a joke. He couldn't shoot threes. Then he couldn't shoot, shoot free throws. Now he just won't shoot at all. You look at his past three postseasons, he averaged 16 points per game. The next season, 14, then 12. And then in this last series, he averaged 9.9 in game, 9.9 points per game. And he is an all-star. And you just, you can't add that. So, you know, I would, before this episode, I was trying to think of, like you both were trying to think of teams that he could end up on. And I was like, Toronto maybe, but I, if I'm Toronto, I'm not even, I'm not, who am I giving up for that? And Portland, definitely not Dame. Am I, am I giving up CJ McCollum? Like, no, I, I don't think it's even worth it there. I, you know, I was thinking Charlotte, Dallas, I think he'd be good with Luca because he wouldn't have to score and they need defensive help. But again, who are you going to give up from? Who wants to deal with him at this point? So I, I, I don't, I, I don't really like talking about him this much because it, it is such an over talked about issue, but it, it was just, it's hard not to put a lot of the blame on him, especially when you've had a front office that has done everything they can to bring in talent around him, you know, the Jimmy Butler move, the Tobias Harris move, swapping out Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, getting Danny Green. They just keep rotating people around Embiid and Simmons. And clearly Joel Embiid is not the problem. It has to be Ben Simmons. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be uh, Philadelphia's number one priority going, going into the off season. Maybe they'll also look to get some front court help behind uh, Embiid, but that's a whole nother conversation that I'm sure we'll get into over the summer. But I want to do one last thing before we wrap this episode up, and that's do a quick little prediction on the Hawks Bucks matchup game one tomorrow, June 23rd at 8 30 p.m. First game of this year's Eastern Conference Finals. We talked about the two teams. They both those teams just beat a lot during this episode, but I would love to hear your takes, early takes on this matchup. Very interesting matchup. Two teams that don't really have a history, kind of not a boring matchup, but uh, hard to come up with a storyline, but I'd love to hear predictions. Thomas Quigley, we'll start with you. So, I mean, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough with this Hawks team because, <laughs> uh, you know, in every series that they've played so far, they just have not had the best player on the court. You know, they didn't have Embiid last series. They didn't have Julius Randle, even though he didn't really show up in the playoffs in the first round. And they certainly don't have the Greek freak on their team uh, going against the Bucks. So, you know, it's, that's a good way often to measure, you know, you know, maybe how well a team will perform against another. And they also, which is underrated, that they have no all-stars. And they've only ever had – they have one player that's ever been on an all-star roster, and that was Trey Young last year. So, I mean, they're just like a very young, inexperienced, and very underrated squad. Um, and I really, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the series at all because no one could have predicted that they would storm through the, the Sixers in the way that they did. Uh, people, a lot of people predicted that they would beat the Knicks, but maybe not in five games. Um, so, you know, it's a really tough, it's a really tough situation uh, to predict. But I think that the Bucs will have so much momentum coming out of this Nets series uh, that it's, it's hard to see them dropping the first game 
or even the second game. So I think the Bucks take the first two. Uh, but the Hawks have really – they've played very well at home. Uh, even though they dropped two last series to the Sixers, they didn't lose a single game at home against the Knicks. And they just have so much – just like – I don't know. There's just so much confidence – in you know a, a team full of kind of just like like scrubs that are just like good like they're playing well uh and Trey Young just like is playing as if it's his like 16th playoffs so it's it's really a toss-up for me I'm gonna say Bucks will take this in six but I don't think the Hawks would go down easily and I would not be surprised if the Hawks end up pushing this to seven games or even winning the series and Aiello um well, I don't think any of us had any, at least the Hawks, getting this far. And quickly mentioned, yeah, they beat up my wonderful Knicks, but we'll be back next. They'll be back next year. Don't you worry. They'll be back. And you know what? I, I'm, the Hawks might actually win the, the NBA Finals. They have a good chance. They have a really <laughs> good chance. I'm not oh. saying that just to Eastern Conference, definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. I'm serious. No, West looks pretty strong. I'm serious, but the Hawks, the antithesis of what the Nets need, they actually have a bench. Okay. They actually have a bench and they don't have stationary players. And this is the problem that we saw with teams like Utah. We saw this with the Lakers, I guess, if you want to count other than LeBron James and Anthony Davis, a lot of their role players are stationary. Uh, the Knicks are incredibly stationary of a team Boston other than Jason Tatum I mean they were just kind of bad no offense but other than Tatum it was kind of every man for himself out there and Brooklyn also outside of the big three everyone is a stationary player the Hawks don't have uh standstill shooters or set shooters or anything like that for the most part I mean they have guys that can defer to that role but Kevin Herter's got a little handle Gallinari doesn't try to beat you off the handle but at least he knows how to Bounce, bounce the thing up and down and then put the thing into the other thing to score the, the tally marks on the board. And they have Bogdanovich, who's been a phenomenal pickup for them. Capella is a really good rim protector. And then they have Trey Young, little Trey Young, who is like, what, six foot nothing, 150 something nothing pounds. And he's setting the world on fire, at least in the NBA. So I don't know. I mean, the, the Hawks might actually just win because the Bucks, as we said earlier in the show, Brooke Lopez, Middleton, Holiday, all almost selling that's their, their season. The Hawks might actually win. I, I think they could do it. I'm going to go Hawks in seven. This is going to be a back and forth, back slap, front slap affair. They're going to trade punches. They're going to kick and scream, cry, whatever you want to say about the fans. They're going to go to each other's arenas and put on shows, I think, every night. So I, I think the Hawks can do it. I, I'm going to ride with the Hawks. Coming from a Knicks fan, I mean, I feel better because they're legit. You know, I, I actually feel a lot better about losing to them. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to complain. I mean, they actually could win. Listen, I like both these takes. This is an interesting matchup. And Trey Young, Trey Young, like what, what else can you say about him? I mean, he's really, he talks the talk, but he, boy, does he back it up. I mean, he has just been phenomenal and he's really bought into that villain archetype role. He loves it. I mean, like I feel, I would, I would not want him to come into my home corner. Like I'd want him to stay in Atlanta because he just feeds <laughs> off the energy from whatever arena he in. So, so if if I'm a if I'm the Bucks, I'm telling my fans don't don't make fun of Trey Young. Don't boo when he gets oh, the ball. Oh, don't do it. Trust me. <laughs> my team tried it. Didn't work. 
It, oh, they really, really try. No, they you really could try. say he's balding. <laughs> it might be true, but he just drops forty on you. I mean, come on, oh what are we God. doing here? Jeez. Uh, Even in Game Five, it was it was so bad. Oh, oh Jesus. I, I went to see him play the Sixers, and it was bad, too, and he's still – I mean, like, he's doing push-ups on the court the other day. So, you know, what can we say about this guy? But at the end of the day, to me, it comes down to if he doesn't come out and is like that every night, if he doesn't have a 25-plus point game, I worry about how how able the rest of his team is going to be against um, this Bucks team. I mean, it's hard to imagine that John Collins and Clint Capella are going to have the wide-open lanes and the easy finishes that they had in previous matchups against the Bucks with a front court like Giannis, Middleton, and Lopez. I mean, they're just bigger and better. So I, I, I think for, at this point to me, for the Bucks, anything short of the conference finals is a failure, especially given their past and especially given that they're playing the Hawks, who is a team that really isn't supposed to be here. So to me, I, I think this is, this is a Bucks team that has a lot on the line. They have a lot of pressure on them. And I really, I think this could be a turning point for Giannis if he's able to prove that he has what it takes to lead his team to a championship. So I do think it's going to be a close series. I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting one. Thomas, like you mentioned, I think it's going to be action-packed, very exciting, a lot of scrappy basketball. But for me, I'm also going to go with the Bucks and six. So we'll see what happens. A lot of basketball still left to play, but this has been another great episode of Pick and Pod. Thomas and other Thomas, it's always a pleasure. Uh, having this show with you guys so make sure you tune in for another episode next week i'm kelly bright pick and pod is a production of w-